we're going to continue on. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul says that the Christian life is like a race and we should run it as though we are trying to win, right? So we're going to look at three different types of races. Um, the first one we are, we're going to look at um, running the race for yourself. So question, have you guys ever believed something uh, that someone told you that, know, that you don't know anything about, right? You believed um, that you just, someone says something that is just ridiculous and you believe them because you think you can trust them, right? So I'm going to give some examples. I know these aren't all mine. These are some of mine, I'll be honest, but just some that I found. And the first one here is, one of them is, I believe that if I ate a watermelon seed, a watermelon would grow in my stomach. Some of us growing up, I know I believe that. I did, and I'm sure some of us, I know some of us are nodding. Some of us probably believed that too when we were younger. Um, second one is, I believe that people in the past lived in a black and white world because old pictures were only black and white. Same goes for TV. It was black and white TVs. The world was black and white. That was it. The next one is, I believe that school buses ate the little kids that got on them every morning. I always saw them get picked up, but was never there when they got dropped off. What happened to them? Another one is, I believe that when my dad played the stereo, the people singing lived inside of it. I was always curious where they slept, went to the bathroom, and ate. I wanted to pry the speaker open to look inside, but I knew that would get me into a lot of trouble. I'm sure some of us have thought of that too. <laughs> and then this is one I really did believe. I believe that white cows made white milk and brown cows made chocolate milk. If you shook the brown cows, you got, well, a chocolate milkshake. Um, so... <laughs> But honestly, sometimes we look at it. I'll never be a scientist. I'll never be a rocket scientist. And I'm going to leave that to the experts at NASA. And I'm going to believe what they have to say. And that is okay to believe that, right? Um, but when it, comes to, when it comes to my beliefs about God, as someone who claims to be and follow uh, Jesus, should I take someone else's word on who he is and what he wants for my life? Or should I try and do that? You see, after Jesus were crucified, all of his followers were scared to death. They were terrified, right? You see, this guy you're following on the cross, dying. So even though Jesus had been predict predicting his death for months and, and weeks prior, and he promised them that he'd never stay dead for long, but they were, they were still scared. They didn't understand um, what he was saying. So we have John 20, verse 1 to 2. It says, uh, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So on what we now call Easter, right? Mary, so that was one of Jesus' followers, went into the tomb to, kind of like nowadays, we put flowers on a grave. Back now, back then, they were putting oil because they wanted, they wanted the, the bodies to smell good, right? So in a way, that is kind of gross. You're going to some dead guy's little coffin putting little oil on there. It is kind of gross, but that's the tradition. It's the custom. That was happening. But when she gets there, there was no body there. And I don't know, if that, if that was me, I'd be freaking out just like her. I'd, be, I'd get there because dead bodies don't move. If you're dead, they're, they're dead. 
That's how that works. Right? So she freaks out. She runs to the house where the other disciples are kind of gathering. They're hanging out, kind of talking, um, and then tells Peter and John. So if you notice, John on here is referred to as, he refers to himself as the other disciple. Right? So he goes, she goes and tells him what she's just seen. Let's continue on here. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Right, so we cannot go running after Jesus' tomb the way that they did, right? But that doesn't mean that we have to settle for what other people had told us about Jesus, right? We see God wants us to run after him, to chase after the truth, right? God wants each of us to know for ourselves who Jesus is and understand what he has done for both you and for me, right? He doesn't want us to believe in his love and grace because someone else has said for us to believe that, right? We, we need to experience it for ourselves. So how do we do that? How do we run after him, right, for ourselves and not base our faith on someone else? Well, I kind of see two ways of doing this. So, we see the first one is trying him out, right? Trying him out. Um, if you really want to know who God is, try him, right? Try living the way that he tells us to live, right? He, he says we, we should try maybe conducting our relationships the way that his word says we should. Spend time praying, right? And, and um, Psalms 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good, or in other words, God is so sure that once you've experienced the life that he has to offer, you won't want to stop living for him. That's what he's trying, that's what he's saying. So it's like The Office, if anyone likes it, it's a good show. It's like that overly confident paper salesman, right? He, he knows what he's going to do. He's going to say what he needs to say and get you to get that first piece of paper He'll get you hooked on the high-quality paper he has. Or, I don't have a picture of this one, the overly confident perfume sales person that's at the mall. I know I go to Cross Iron Mills, and I always walk past this one side down by Winners. There's always this one guy with this little tray with his perfumes, his lotions, and he's always walking out trying to get people's attention. But no, he, he doesn't go beside. No, he cuts in front of you. So you can't go anywhere except for around him. So he has your attention. And he's just like, just take one, just take one, just take one. Because he knows you'll get, you'll, you'll, you'll get addicted to it. It's going to be good. Right? You're going to want it. So it's just like that. And if you want to run after God for yourself, you have to stop watching other people live for him and simply do it yourself. God says if you just get a taste, you'll never want to go back to where you were before. You're going to want just a little bit more. We see the second one is to run God for yourself is to dig into his word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Right? 
sometimes we don't like to study. I know in school, in high school, I wasn't the best at studying. I kind of avoided I was like a last-minute guy. I, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight. Okay, I'm going to read over my whole year's worth of books just for my one test tomorrow. And honestly, I'll probably fail it anyways. But that was who, who I am. But we're being told here is that we need to study the Word. Study, study it well. Dig into Scripture. Because if you want to know something for yourself, you're going to have to learn. Nowadays, I love studying. I love learning more. I love taking, step, taking that step out and understanding. I, I, if I can take schooling all the time, I, I probably would. I'm a lot different than I used to be because I found that value in studying. Now, so that's the first one is running the race for yourself, digging into this word, trying him out. Try conducting yourselves the way that he's told us to. And the second one is running the race. So it's running away from sin. Right? So we need to run away from sin even if it costs us something. Because I know that sin will cost us a whole lot more. Right? So I don't know if you ever noticed um, Nike and like Adidas commercials. Right? You wake up, they, they, they sorry, wake up, <laughs> turn on the TV, and you see it's usually black and white because that means more, you know, depth. Anyways, you go, they zoom in. They have an athlete bending over to tie their shoe, right? Zoomed in, and they come out, and it's whatever, an, an amazing athlete is coming out, and all of a sudden, he's working out, he's sweating, he's dripping all over the place, he's lifting his weights, he's doing whatever it is, right? And we know that tying the shoes are going to be the first steps to victory, the first steps to overcoming the end. Right? And we know that's going to be the, the, that's the angle of all the Nike commercials is the shoes are going to help you win victory. So just do it. Right? But in all honesty, I don't relate to that. I don't. If Nike wanted to do a real commercial, okay, I would imagine them it being a dad, a little chubby dad, sitting on a couch at home watching the football game. Or watching a TV show with this kid, this, this little kid that's on the couch. And you're watching a show, and then all of a sudden, it turns black and white, and like Darth Vader comes out. Or some hairy beast, I don't know. Let's go with that. Let's go Darth Vader. That's just easier. Darth Vader comes out, and he's like, I'm going to get you. And all of a sudden, he's come there. The dad, slow motion, right? It's a commercial. Slow motion picks up the kid, and it's just this, boom, 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 like, you know. He's a little chubby. He's going. And basically, the commercial ends with him just barely making it out of that door holding his kid. And then, at the end, it comes up with this, Nike, for when you need to run away, just do it. <laughs> That's a realistic commercial, in my opinion. Right? They're never going to make that into an actual campaign. It, it wouldn't sell. But I can actually relate to that. So, <laughs> but we see this in, in movies, in, in anything that's kind of really being popular, is the idea is tough people don't run away. Tough people will run into the burning building, saving a bucket full of cats, running into a, this car accident and, and saving the deer that it hit. It's something like that, right? It, it's, I'm not saying that, it's, it's a bad thing, 
I'm not saying that. It, it's like the mathlete, the skinny mathlete stands up to the bully that's been bullying him. Those are, th- those are good. Those are, honestly, those aren't bad things. Helping others is standing up for one another are noble things. They're good things to be doing. But sometimes we overlook the virtue in simply running away. We overlook that. And sometimes running away is looked as something someone really weak is going to do. It's looked down on. Maybe it doesn't seem as exciting as, or brave as running into a burning building saving those cats, right? But running away, it's, it's usually a lot safer and a lot more effective to be able to run. So for thousands of years, I want to say that God has been telling, uh, giving his people the same advice when it comes to dealing with sin. In, in Proverbs 5 to 8, uh, someone tells his sons, don't go anywhere near that woman's house. In other words, run away. Run away. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, says, flee sexual immorality. He literally told his people to run away from temptation, to get out. He told Timothy, the young pastor who he he, uh, mentored, to run away from the things that will get you into trouble. Run towards the things that won't. And that's in 2 Timothy. We're going to read a little bit about Joseph quickly here. And we're going to read more in the Genesis 39, but we're going to give you background in the Genesis 37. We see that Joseph had a perfect life. His dad was rich. Like, I mean, like, Jeff Bezos, is that his name? Amazon guy, rich. Or Bill Gates, rich. Um, but in, instead of, or Tim Cook, I guess, we can do that too. But instead of computers, they're all goats. Right? Now, Joseph was also his dad's favorite. You know, his dad would always come, give him special gifts, or put him in charge of his brothers, who are actually quite a bit older than him. But he'd be the one that his dad would go to. We say that his life started to change. His brothers were sick and tired of the way that they were treated and that the younger brother was in charge of them. And his younger brother getting all these special gifts and, and just people he was getting appreciated a lot more. So what do they do? They sold them to be a slave to some slave traders who were passing through. But then they told their dad that he got eaten by an animal. So, let's, uh, so yeah, let's read Genesis 39. Um, he's now a slave in Egypt. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Uh, Potiphar, an, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had been taking him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. So this is actually a pretty cool story. Um, he was made to be a slave, uh, even though he is really the, f- the favorite son of a billionaire uh, shepherd. Right? So, but it's because he's being faithful to God, and God even blesses his work as now being a slave. But the problem is, the story didn't get better, it got worse. 
In Genesis 39, 6 and 7, it says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed, to, come to bed with me. Honestly, first of all, how could it be like thousands of years later, you know, Joseph in heaven looking down, like, oh man, they're reading about how handsome I am, how good looking I am, right? I'd be a little more arrogant if I was him, if you think about that. Um, but we got to really think of this. Um, he was so good looking that his owner's wife took notice and started to proposition him. This shouldn't be over overlooked because honestly, slaves were looked at as property. They weren't looked as people in that, in that time. Slaves were property, right? And in Egypt, in, in Egypt, the lowest form of the low was someone who dealt with, um, with sheep and goats. Well, get this, Joseph was a slave from a family of shepherds and his master's wife still went after him. So the next slide here, let's read that. But he refused... He, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing, thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You see, he resisted and he resisted. Every day he resisted her. And honestly, who knows for how long, right? But she was simply trying to just wear him down and break down those walls, that guard that he had, right? He but he didn't want to let God down. He didn't want to let his master down. He wouldn't even go near her. If you think about that, that's a serious commitment. He wasn't willing to go near her. Um, oh, sorry for this one. It says, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants uh, were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. You see, there comes a point where resisting and standing up for yourself just won't work anymore. So Joseph had two choices. He could, uh, he could have given in or he could have ran away. And Joseph chose to run. Right, we see, so here's the hard part, is Joseph's life didn't get better, right, right after he ran away, right? His master's wife, who was in possession of some of his clothes, um, accused him of trying to rape her, right? He went to prison, um, but in the end, God used Joseph to save millions of people because of Joseph's faithfulness. And there's other stories in the Bible that really show us the examples of people who should have run away. Like Samson, he was the strongest man in the world, but he thought he was too strong for sin to affect him. So instead of running away, he tried to get as close as he possibly could. But his unwillingness to run cost him his life. We see King David, who was so good that God called him a man after his own heart, but he thought he was too good of a guy to get wrapped up in sin. So instead of running away from sin, he decided to stay a little bit longer and to have a peek at a woman he had no choice, no, like, no business looking at. He stayed that little bit longer. His unwillingness to run away cost him the lives of four of his children. Right? And then Solomon, who was the smartest guy in the world, he thought he should, um, sorry, he thought he was too smart to let sin ruin his life. 
So instead of running away from sin, he decided he should experience, experience some new things and see what they were like. So his unwillingness to run away cost him his family legacy and, and, and ended up being a, just causing the spiritual downfall of an entire country. So he may not be strong as um, Samson. It might not be as good as King David or it might not be as smart as Solomon. Right? So why do you think sin? Why would you think sin can't get a hold of you? Right? We see that the, the only way to defeat sin is to refuse to go anywhere near it. And for being honest, it is honestly probably pretty hard. It's in, uh, inconvenient. It's embarrassing. Right? But maybe that's what we need to do to run away from that sin. If you, so, uh, for example, here is, this got to be pretty bad for Joseph. He ran down the street naked just to avoid sin. Seriously, naked, just running doesn't want to be a part of it that's embarrassing like or if let's say on your phones you, you have a temptation to look at inappropriate things on your phone you go and put you, you take off the wi-fi because you don't trust yourself right i'm sure it'll make life more difficult because who can't you need wi-fi you need to search things up you need data so you can get your texting and all that other stuff right but maybe that's what you need to run away Right? Maybe it's some people in your lives that you know you are becoming a different person when you're around them, and you need to kind of push yourself away from that because you're not starting to like the person you are when you're with them. Maybe that's what needs to happen. So we talk about the importance of running to God, uh, running to know God for yourself, how it isn't enough to just take someone's word, but you need to experience him. But we also talk about um, running from sin, and it doesn't always look like it's the hero's thing, but it's something that God wants to do, is to run away. So the last thing here is, the third one, is running the race. So running uh, to share. I don't know about you, I think it's quite easy for us to share things. If something's good happened in our life, I can bet you a hundred bucks. For those of us on Facebook, you'll go on Facebook right away. Right? I just want a free car. Oh, Facebook. Right? I want a free trip. Facebook. That's what's going to happen. Maybe that was on, on Christmas. Once someone here got an amazing gift. I did leave my things up in my, my office, but I got this amazing gift, and I did do this. Um, the office. Those of you know what I'm saying. Anyways, I got a bunch of these, these characters, the Funko Pops. I love them. I like to collect them. And as I got them, and I was so stoked. I took a picture, put them on Facebook. I was ready for it. And that was maybe five minutes after opening up the gift because I was excited. But that's something is, for some reason, um, that's not hard to share, let people know. But when it comes to God, it is hard to share. It's uneasy to sharing our faith with people. Why do we think it is? We, we see this, I know on Instagram, when Instagram first came out, Everyone's taking pictures of their food. This is a good meal. My friends need to know this meal is really good. This coffee from Starbucks is amazing. They need to know how amazing this coffee is. They'll never taste, but it's amazing. It's easy to share that sort of stuff, but how easy is to share you know, what God's done to, for you? Right, so it, the, the God who created and loves you, who you let down and we, we broke his heart, 
right, where their sin has not only decided to forgive us through the work of his son, but he wants to spend an eternity with us. Isn't that something that we should be willing to share? So I'm going to give you uh, the last little part here. Um, we're going to talk about Philip. So kind of background of Philip. Philip uh, was one of the first deacons in the church uh, at, at Jerusalem. And this church kept growing and growing, kept growing bigger and bigger. And all the people um, were hearing about uh, who Jesus was and what he taught. And when they heard about him dying on the cross and being raised back to life, they were like, what's the deal? I was not there. What is the deal? Right? We see that they saw that thousands and thousands of people were coming. And and the church ended up... um, the church ended up appointing a group of deacons, and one of them was Philip. So Philip took his job seriously and immediately started making a huge impact on this church. Um, and Acts 8 is pretty much um, all about his ministry. So the first half deals with him and, and the sorcerer, which is, which is great, but we're going to focus on the second half of this chapter. If we go to the next slide, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian uh, eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the uh, Kandaki, I don't know, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Uh, This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So we, we see here is Philip is preaching in another town, in another part of the country, about 50 miles away. When an angel tells him, hey, there's somebody that need, you need to share uh, the good news about Jesus with. So Philip goes to meet this guy, right? And here's the crazy part about when he gets there. He runs. He runs 50 miles. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. See, I love this, this verse. If you really think about it, the chariot is actually moving. It's, 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 it hasn't stopped. So here's this important guy in, in all seriousness on this chariot reading. And then a guy pops up while he's running. Hey, do you know what you're, you're reading? What, what, what are you? And this guy's running, chasing beside the chariot. Man, I'd be freaking out. I'm like driving down the road down here, and all of a sudden some guys, hello? <laughs> Man, I, yeah, I'm a little panicked there. All right, so let's go to the next slide. It says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is a passage of scripture Enoch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his share is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Enoch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip hops in the chariot and hopefully gets a glass of water, starts explaining to this guy what this prophet Isaiah is is talking about. Like he goes on and just hopes you know, he's out of breath. He's like, I just need some water. Let me talk to you. I'm good. I'm good. I can do this. But once Philip has explained, Enoch says, yes, this is what I want. This is the God I want to follow and the Jesus I want to be my Savior. 
Isn't that kind of crazy? The next slide says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Just like that, Philip is gone. Probably running away, (laughs) running somewhere else, pretty crazy. Um, But the eunuch was ecstatic because Philip had run to share the good news with him. Right? We see some people, it's difficult to share their faith. Um, they, they may feel awkward. Or they may feel like they look weird. Right? But here's the thing. Sharing the faith isn't about you. It's not how you feel. And if that makes you feel bad, I'm sorry. But it's not about you at all. Right? It's about God wanting others to know about him and what he has done for them. Think about that person who first told you about Jesus. Right? Um, do you think of them as some awkward kind of Jesus freak? Or are you kind of thinking that they were, that was kind of cool, they were willing to share um, with you no matter how it made them look? I know yesterday, it happened twice. Um, I was at Dollarama getting some stuff. And I was literally going there for tinfoil and plates. Tinfoil and plates turned into an hour-long discussion. My wife was not surprised. <laughs> she, she actually, well, she would, first she was joking as if I started my own franchise of Dollarama, but, um, but that's how it is. I'll go, and I, I'm, I used to be the guy that was, you know, I'd be the one shaking and scared to talk to people about Jesus, but you know what? It's not about me. I don't care. I'm like, if people want to throw their coffee in my face, whatever, but I'm going to say what God's put on my heart. I'm going to say I'm not going to be afraid and sometimes that's hard, right? We see, we, we see Philip running alongside a chariot that is moving. He's willing to share the word. But sometimes, you know, we're, we're not going to get told to run 50 miles alongside a chariot to go share the word. It might be someone when we're in at Black Mountain or at Starbucks in line, um, and you see someone, you know, they're trying to think what they're going to get, and you make conversation with them. Or maybe it's, I used to, in, in Calgary, I used to sit at the Starbucks and seriously, I'd sit at a table with my computer out and have my book with me and, and well, really, it, it was a worship book, but anyways, I would have it. Often I'd have it and I'd, someone else would sit beside me and it's so simple, like, oh, what are you reading? Oh, I'm just reading blah, 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 blah. Well, the thing is, is typically after that, they're saying, what are you reading? Well, boy, do I have a story for you. I'm talking about Jesus. Let me read this, you know, and tell them that it's easy. Um, sometimes it, it, it starting the conversation with someone is a great way to share your faith without feeling awkward or uncomfortable, without feeling confrontational, because sometimes that's a big thing. And I'm sure there's other ways you guys can think of, uh, of sharing the gospel, be able to, to tell people about who Jesus is. Um, do that. Run to share. So you're gonna, I have three last slides and then we'll, we're, we're gonna close here uh, for this morning. But the first one here is for running for yourself. As we go into the new year, as you make resolutions, I encourage you to maybe put these three as part of them. Part of your resolution, your vision for 2020. Because it's not always about us. It needs to be about God. Because some people, they, they haven't had the opportunity to hear or maybe they have a bad experience in church and you know what? 
Let's give them a good experience because we just, we're called to love one another. So this one here is the first way, is for running for yourself, the first race is, I'm going to run to know God for myself and to believe in the love and grace of Jesus, not because of what someone else says, but because I've experienced it. Spend time in your word. Read the Bible. Or if you don't even have a Bible, you know, come talk to me. I'm sure I can find you one. But if you don't have a Bible, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody who can encourage you. Talk to somebody that you can have faith in that will encourage you and help you out to understand what's going on. Have that person you can count on. But don't believe everything they say until you can experience, until you can look into it. This uh, second, second one is there's, uh, for running from sin, is this year I will be willing to run away from sin, even if it costs me something, because I know that sin will cost me way more. I remember in, in high school, I had a lot, of, a lot of friends. They were into stuff that I never wanted to be a part of, but I hung out with them a lot. You know, they're into the drugs and the drinking and the partying and all that stuff. I never really was a part of that, but I hung out with them because they were my friends. And I remember um, one of my really good friends at the time, he was trying to really coerce me into doing some stuff I shouldn't. And I remember that day that I, you know what, I'm like, you know what, I don't need this. I'm done. I need to clean up because I started to give in. You know, it's so easy when you're around that to start giving in and letting go of being part of it. You know, oh, I'm going to smoke a little bit of this. I'm going to a little bit of this. I'm going to start drinking down here because, you know, so-and-so says it's, you know, I, I trust them. They're my friend. But you know what? Sometimes you need to distance yourself from that. You need to be encouraged saying, you know, it's okay to, to run away. It's okay to distance yourself because sometimes the people who are around you are the ones that impact who you are. I don't know if you ever heard about the five people surrounding you. Your closest five people are the ones that kind of determine your personality. So you're going to turn into them because we all gain that kind of thing. How many of you ever heard of that? And I believe it because I know the people I'm with, they're into a lot of stuff I didn't like and I was never liked. But I started to be like, oh, you know, whatever, it's okay, they can do that. I don't like that. I distanced myself, and I lost, well, actually, I lost all my friends um, after I graduated, and unfortunately, that, that was the sad part, but God's place continuously placed more people who are in the same values that I have, ones that can be encouraged and encourage myself as well as I can encourage them. So even though that cost me something, I, I, I was still willing to do it, to leave and start fresh. Uh, the last slide here is running to share. Is this year I'll run to share with others what God has done for me and wants to do for me, for them. It may be difficult, but it will be worth it, so I will run. Be like Philip. Listen to God. Run the 50 miles if he asks you to. He, I'm assuming he probably won't. Maybe he will for me now, because I'm saying that, but God will use you. God will speak to each and every one of you separately in your own way. Listen to God. Share. Don't be, don't be afraid. Sometimes that awkwardness is okay. I've been, um, yeah, even at prayer group, we've been saying, you know, sometimes the awkwardness is natural. 
over awkwardness, God will continue to speak to us because we're listening. Right? Even with, and with worship, there'll be times when we got together and I'd, we, we'd just say, hey, we're not gonna, we're just gonna worship, we're gonna play music and just leave it as. Let's not talk, let's just worship some time. So I encourage you, spend time in your words. Spend time listening, not always talking and because it's not about you, it's about him. Think about your resolutions. Think about what race you want to run. Running for yourself or you're running for God.